0: 6 verse 12 and onwards he deals precisely about that and then he talks about marriage and divorce and remarriage and all of that singleness uh so you've got maybe two weeks before we get there to delete your tinder repent of everything Uh, and tonight i'm serious though tonight we are jumping into this this very specific questionable i hope you bought You brought your your vomit bags like they give you on Qantas because this is a sickening situation here. the the word sexual immorality there that you see is the word porneia, the Greek word porneia, and it's really just a catch-all umbrella term going all of the things that you're not supposed to do. That's porneia. It's sexual immorality. So, and we'll cover this in a couple of weeks, but to lay the foundation, God made man. God made woman. Sex is supposed to be between one man and one woman when they are married, and they are married for life in covenant, and that's beautiful, and it should be chapter 7. will look all about how that's for pleasure and fun, and that's all good. Anything else is porneia, sexual immorality. You know, well, well, what about that? No, that's going to be sexual immorality. Well, I know it's a husband and wife, but what if we really love each other? You love sexual immorality. That's what you love. Well, you know, but this guy, he said that he's going to marry me. That's sexual immorality. If it's not, if you don't have a ring on your finger, certificate sign hanging in your living room, you are not allowed to engage in mind, word, physical or actual uh, sexual relations with that person. That's God's command. And he's aware, Paul's aware that, pornea of of mind, which is lusting uh, of of words, you know that flirtation, that uh, that, that uh, dirty talk between uh, between people, or or of action where there is hands laying on, there's boyfriend girlfriend in the back of the uh, car. There's in this church, it was happening literally during the worship service or before the worship service, dropping off to the prostitute on the way to church we'll get there in chapter six, uh, all that sort of stuff. And and, and Paul's aware that there's some sexual immorality amongst all churches because none of us are perfect. But what he's hearing today is there is a particular level of sexual immorality. He just didn't get taught this in rabbi school when he was growing up as a good little Jew. He was never told, you know, this is Sabbath. Here's the hand-washing rules. Here's what they do on the eighth day for the little boys. And in case one day you plant a little synagogue church among the Gentiles, you're going to have to tell them why it's a bad idea to sleep with your stepmother. And it wasn't on the test. Wasn't lectured at all. But here's Paul. And a kind that is not even tolerated amongst pagans, for a man has his father's wife. What we're looking at here. Is a out of bounds, even for the dudes who aren't on the track kind of sin. I remember this is going to sound extremely out of place until I get to application. Preacher is allowed to do that. A few years ago, uh, many years ago, before I was married, uh, we went to the bowling alley. Makes it sound like it's going to go in a weird direction. I was out with my family and went to the bowling alley and we were bowling, and my sister is. An idiot sometimes. And she, she grabbed the, the kid's bowling ball because she goes, I'll be able to throw it faster. And the first time she threw it, she it her fingers were stuck. So it literally didn't come out until here. And she just missed the lights and then banged, and the ball just bounced down the alleyway. That was funny enough. But then the second time, she thought instead of going so far up, I should sort of have an angle on it and let go of it at the right time so I don't hit the roof. And here she goes, she walks up to the alley, and a couple of you know those guys who have the gloves when they're bowling and the special shoes and obviously no girlfriend. And they're there at the bowling and they're doing the whole twirl and they have got the wrist guard. Though so they were a couple, they were like two alleys down from us. So he's there bowling, this huge dude. Um, and my sister goes up to bowl her whacker of a, she's got the gutters on, but she still matters to manages to gutter a ball it in his lane she she goes to bowl and she lets go over here and it clears one lane bounces in another one and then goes into this guy's lane goes into the gutter and ruins his perfect score which we can be honest is the only score he'll ever get that's a joke we can laugh bowling jerk yeah so anyway moving on but but here he is side note this is a good tip for teenagers if you want to stay sexually moral and not be tempted by girlfriends Become a bowling nerd. <laughs> that won't come near you, and then you can get married safely and then stop bowling. Anyway, so he's about to bowl. This ball comes from nowhere, goes into his gutter, and I'm sure he's thinking. Well, he was very angry. But what was funny for us is she had the rails up. She didn't just gutter ball that. She gutter balled it in somebody far away who's not even in our game. She she fouled in a game we weren't even playing. And I think that's sort of Paul's mindset here. Looking at the Corinthian church, he's like this guy's sinning. But he's, he's scoring badly on a game. He's not even playing. This is bad for pagans. We're not even in pagan world anymore. We're supposed to be saints. He's called them saints so many times. That means holy. That means righteous people living. And he's saying that even the people on the bottom, on ground floor of morality, they don't do this. This is in the dumpster. Now what's been happening is it says you have your father's wife. That's not going to be his mom, otherwise it would have said mother. Leviticus, the sexual um, laws in the Old Testament make this distinction as well. They say don't sleep with your mother, for that is shameful, obviously. But it also says "Do um, do not have your father's wife. And this is sort of a remarriage situation. Dads either divorced mom or mom's passed away, whatever it is. Here's the son, and his dad marries a lady. Maybe she's younger. Maybe whatever it is, there's some flirtation that happens between the mother and the the, the mother stepmother and the stepson. And what what seems to have happened is that the father got cookolded. He's he's out of the picture. the, the mum actually really liked Steve, but younger Steve is even nicer, and so she starts being engaged in in activity with him so much so that the father's not even on the stage anymore. He's not in the picture. And when it says, has his father's wife, that word has is like, this is ongoing. This was not a slip up. This is a relationship. She's living with him. This is an ongoing thing. And the problem is especially that he's being tolerated among the church. So this is likely the mother, stepmother, girlfriend, which is a horrible hyphen, stepmother slash girlfriend is not a Christian because she's not in the church. She's not being reprimanded. He keeps talking about the one who's sinning. So it's likely that she's not here in the picture. But here is this man claiming to be a Christian, sleeping with what was his stepmother, now girlfriend, living with him. And he is in the church. He's a voting member. He's taken communion. And what is very likely is because in that, he said, even the pagans don't tolerate this. In fact, in Roman colony law, like Corinth, they actually, the Romans actually had laws against this, except it wasn't that police would knock on your door and then arrest you, it's that somebody private would have to take you to court for something that you're doing. The only real reason the historians can figure out that he hasn't been taken to court for this is likely that he's a, he, he's a boss, he's, a, he's a, um, a very high up in society kind of guy, and that's because you don't get taken to court in Roman culture by the lower downs. It would be somebody above you who would drag you to court and get you to stop what you're doing. So he's had nobody talk to him in this way, take him to court and stop what he's doing and then get kicked out of the Roman colony. That's what would happen out of Corinth into the farmlands. So he's probably a wealthy guy. Now we understand why the church is letting him get away with it. He's a big donor. He's a big charismatic guy. He's the dude running the fellowship groups. Everybody's coming over his house. He had a pool. So nobody mentioned his mother and his stepmother relationship in summer. Everybody wanted to keep him happy, keep the church happy, keep the peace. Sexual immorality is okay if you're rich and powerful and influential. That's probably what's going on. And he says to them, you are arrogant about this. You're proud you've got this guy in your congregation. Look, he's prominent. He's rich. He's uh, he's famous. Everybody knows him, and he's in the church of Corinth. Yeah, but he's sleeping with his dad's wife. That's so irrelevant. Did you hear the other things that really make him out to be a really cool guy? No, Paul says. It's not tolerated among the pagans. For once in your life, take an example from the people who are still in their sins. Cut him out. And so he says there, let him who has done this thing be removed From you they are a proud church we've seen this all throughout first corinthians we saw right at the very beginning if you are not willing to be a christian who looks at the cross the death of our god and says that's my life it sounds foolish it sounds weak i don't care i'm living for jesus not for myself call me foolish call me weak i don't care i'm humble i'll receive all that because i know i have salvation in christ he started there because every other problem a church will have comes from that. Christians not being willing to suffer because they are not they don't have a cross-shaped mindset. Christians not being willy, willing to be holy and cut out the sinners from among them because they don't have a cross-shaped mindset. Christians not willing to be generous. Christians not willing to be missional. Christians not willing to persevere in the ministries God has given them because they don't have a cross-shaped mindset, and that is called pride. Your life does not look like dying to yourself, living for Jesus and for the salvation of others. And what you actually do, it's pride. As a lifestyle, it's proud proud living. And so Paul says again, you are arrogant. The word means puffed up. But you should, he says, be mourning. It's very... funny that he's using that word proud arrogant you know you 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 have a you got a a rainbow flag in your church for this guy you're marching in the parades that are very proud about sexual morality you should be heartbroken that people are breaking the law of god and in your congregation this is a problem you should not tolerate those he says you should not tolerate the the maligning and the destroying of the reputation of jesus for children of god holiness is happiness for a church, family, holiness is happiness, and sin never leads to that joy. It always leads to darkness and death and destruction. So because they won't deal with it appropriately, they are apparently like those churches who you know, ordain homosexual or adulterous and whatever else, uh, 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 pastors and priests and whatever. They're those churches. Paul says, if you will not deal with it on your own initiative... I will tell you what to do so look at verse uh, second half of verse two through to three this my friends is called church discipline we'll talk about this a lot when we did our church series what is the church what should it do we talk about this a lot when we sort of walk through how to deal with sin and how other people sin against you church discipline is important it's one of the first it's one of the most important marks of a true church If a church preaches the word of god it's getting one thing right that's a the necessary part of a true church if in preaching the word of god it also administers the sacraments rightly it does proper baptism and proper lord's supper that's two out of three the third necessary one for it to be a church and not just a group of people who like reading the bible is that there's church discipline people holding each other accountable will look at what that looks like leadership that removes sinful sinful unrepentant people a leadership that exemplifies holiness that is what is necessary for a church. Otherwise, no one is being kept on the straight and narrow. It is just a group of self-lording people. So let's talk about church discipline. He says, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. This is a quote, actually, from Leviticus 18. I'll read two verses out of there. This is the, the part of the Old Testament, the part that you do your year, some of you are about to start year reading plans of the Bible, and you'll smash Genesis, get through Exodus, get through a couple of the others, you slow down during Numbers, you hit Leviticus and stop, because it's weird and it makes no sense, and how to do an application to your life from there is very confusing. Well, here's a couple of verses we should at least agree with. Leviticus 18, verse 8 and 29. Both say, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. Really good rule. It is your father's nakedness. In other words, to uncover her is to shame your father. Don't do that. And obviously, sin against her. But even if she's willing, don't do it. That's your father's uh, uh, glory. For everyone, then verse 29 will say, everyone who does any of these abominations, that person who, uh, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So then we have Paul saying, don't sleep with your father's wife, cut him out from among the people, the church. So we have this Old Testament, New Testament reflection because the Old and New Testament agree and they all point to Jesus, but we don't obey all the same laws from the Old Testament. We know that. But here, some of that spirit is being reflected. So he's quoting the Old Testament. God's method, Old Testament and New Testament, for dealing with unrepentant sin is to cut them out. He does not say start up an after-church rehab clinic for those who are sexually addicted. He does not say, start up some program where you affirm them and tell them that's just the way they were born. We do not overlook it simply because we're all sinners and there's lots of grace here and I don't want to judge and usually people who say that simply have their own hidden sins so they don't want anybody looking too deep. Well, Paul says, God says, that removal of them is... God's method of dealing with them. Yes, there's lots of grace in the New Testament. That's why we don't pick up stones and kill people who commit adultery. Sounds like grace to me. I'm really glad we don't do that. But that doesn't mean that sin gets to weave its way through the church. doesn't mean we don't deal with it. It means that God's methods change, not because he changed, but because the people of God are no longer a nation like Israel. We're among every nation in the church. So the church's responsibility is to remove them, kick them out maintain holiness in the church so that our witness is consistent so we're going to see two things here what Paul does and what he tells the church to do look at verse 3 though absent in body I am present in spirit what the heck does that mean that does not mean that where you are all of your Christian ancestors are floating with you we're not new-agey that's very strange you've had very weird applications of that verse what it means is Paul's an Apostle if Paul comes to any church that is under the authority of God It is under the authority of him because the apostles were made to be teachers of truth and revealers of mysteries there's no more apostles alive today they all died after the bible was written this is now the live in authority and power of the apostles literally when paul says my spirit is among you what he means is my teaching which holds authority is with you where in the letter that just arrived that this is written in So today, we can say the exact same thing. Paul, in his authoritative spirit, is here in the Bible. God, in his authoritative spirit, is here in the Bible. Wherever God's truth is, they're the apostolic, Christ, God, spirit, is mediating authority. So, we have this as an exact representation for us. Because we have the Bible, which Paul wrote, therefore his spirit is here. But then he says, in verse 3, keep following, And as if present like as if i was right there with you already i have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing so he's saying with the authority of jesus i've heard the situation i'm gonna make a declaration here's my judgment remove him he's sinning get him out because the words of an apostle are the words of jesus and this sort of just put don't haven't you heard doesn't this just push back against what so many of us in our day and age want to say? Like, you can't judge anybody until you get to know them first. Jeez, Paul. He's like, I don't know his name. I don't want to know his name. I'd punch him if I met him. Kick him out. I don't need to meet him. I don't need to know him. I don't need to ask what his upbringing was like. And maybe he has some background addictions, or he was, he was treated strangely as a child, or he didn't have friends in high school. I don't care. He's sinning. Get rid of him. He's responsible. what Paul says... Cut him out of already pronounced judgment. It also sort of pushes back when people people say, Well, let's not call it sin. Let's let's sort of, you know, let's work around it. No. Doesn't mean we walk around with a bat and go, I'm a Christian. God said that's a sin. I can I can whack people for being sinful. We see this next week doesn't mean we we go and jab people and push them in corners and make them feel completely judged and criticized and pathetic because we're all super holy. What this does mean is that if somebody comes up to you and goes, you know, uh, my friend and I, we're not dating, but we're sleeping together. Like, is that really sinful? You don't have to say, well, what are your motivations? You go, yes, friend. Look, the word says this is sinful. I'm not judging against you because I'm like you. I'm a sinner. But yes, this is a sin. So many people, they used to say, love the sin, hate the sin. No, love the sinner, hate the sin. Now they don't even use that word. They just say, love them, full stop. Don't even mention the sin word. No, we love them by telling them they're in sin, especially in the church. We start inside and permeate outwards. But this is what Paul says. Don't need to know who he is, (laughs) what he's like, what his enneagram is. He's sinning. you got to judge him. And he says then, uh, So can you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18? We're going to get there in just a second. But he then starts saying, Matthew 18 is that reference, Matthew 18 verse 15. 18, 15. So Paul says, I am an authority because I'm a Bible writer. So for anyone now who has the Bible, we have that same authority. There's no getting out of this by saying, well, we don't have an apostle, so I guess we don't know what to do. Don't ask me to discipline this. This is awkward. No, we all have the responsibility. And so then he puts it on to them he says I've made the judgment this is what is true sleeping with your mothers any kind of mother is wrong God hates it then he says to them very interesting language he says when verse 4 when you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus so that's congregation that's church that's not a Christian conference when lots of Christians are together that's not you bump into some Christians on the street it's kind of like church in Maccas no when you come and congregate for worship, which is a set-apart, authoritative spirit is dwelling with us now in a way that cannot be replicated in your house Bible study during the week. God has covenanted that joining together corporately on the Lord's day in his name has the presence of his spirit in a strong and special way. It says, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, in other words, when the Bible is speaking, if you're under the authority of the Bible, then the apostolic spirit is present, which is the spirit of God. With the power of our Lord Jesus, meaning when you congregate, it's not that one guy has the power of Jesus and the rest of the church is sort of sucking from him. It's not as if, as if the Pope has all the authority and we're all sold down in, in, in here hoping that he sends some to us, but the congregated church, we have the authority and the power of Jesus Christ among us. So that Jesus will say in the verse we're going to read, that where we agree on something together, heaven backs that up. Are we going to be perfect in every one of our decisions, in discipline or in uh, uh, anointing or in uh, 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 ordaining people for ministry? Not every time. That's why church discipline comes in, for when we make mistakes. But because we ha- have this authority of God, what we loose in on earth is loosed in heaven. What we bind on earth is bound in heaven. That applies to church decisions and church discipline let's look at Matthew chapter 18 but first I'm gonna read for us from Matthew 16 uh, verse 19 Jesus is speaking to Peter who's just confessed that Jesus is the the Messiah and Jesus speaks to him as an example of all who will be teachers in the church and he says I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven now, again, that can, that's just used by wacky preachers to mean all sorts of strange things. I'm unlocking hell. I'm locking up Satan and binding him, whatever. What that That's a Jewish phrase for teaching the scriptures. If you have the keys of heaven, that means you're teaching the word of God. In one sense, every one of us have the keys of heaven. This is the heavenly word. You are told to disperse it, dispense it, administrate it, preach it but especially to those like myself in teaching responsibilities. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's In that context then, Jesus says this in, in Matthew 18. He says, now this is our response. We've sort of gone from what Paul says, what the Bible says, what sin is, all of that. Now we're going to go to us because this happens in some degree every week every day in your life so Christians this is your responsibility Jesus says if your brother sins against you has anyone ever had a Christian sin against you raise your hands the rest of you are lying which is also sin good job everybody has had as Christians sin against you if you didn't know it they're just really sneaky but they are go and tell him or her their fault Wow if that was followed we would lose so many church splits we would avoid so many big fights in marriages in everything if everybody just had the guts to say what they're gossiping to their friend about to the person who's actually offended them things would be sorted out for two reasons because if you come to me and say you know jill has been gossiping behind my back or jill is doing this about me or whatever i'm going to say number one don't tell me that's gossip you're doing what she's doing sucker but also also you need to go speak to her that's how relationships are mended at that point she's going to say no that's super awkward not actually a big deal i can forget about this and forgive it because i don't want to have that awkward conversation solved you don't want to talk about it then first peter 4:8 applies here love covers a multitude of sins if it's not worth approaching them about it friends gossipy generation who either slides into people's dms to say things or is always asking around the back like what did she say about me what did he do shut up talk to her talk to him so many fights among people come through because people don't have the guts especially let me this is at the young men stop gossiping leave that to the grade six girls confront people talk to them mend relationships that's your job get a spine my brothers we confront and we talk about the sin and that causes grace because you can't be as bitter to their face as you were behind their back so that's step one somebody sins against you friends it's as easy as go and talk to them about it that is so helpful and i promise you you want that to be done to you between you and him alone he says in verse 15 if she or he listens to you you've gained your brother that defines our mindset when there's sin in the church Are you trying to bring blame against brothers and sisters? That's the job of the accuser of the brethren whose name is Satan. However, are you trying to bring unity? Are you trying to win brothers? Are you trying to win sisters? you Are trying to be helpful, friendly, edifying, building up? That's the work of the Spirit of God. May God bless you in that. So you're always aiming to gain a brother. Here's step two. If they don't listen then you take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is starting to sound legal, and that's good. Jesus is saying, if you've come up to somebody and it's a sin that matters, like they're cheating on somebody, or they're looking at pornography, or they're lying, or they're cheating on their taxes, something that matters, that it's not just between me and them. This is sin. They're going to hurt people and you come up to them and they're not willing to repent, you don't then go and tell everything to two people, bring them along, and then charge them. What you do is you ask two friends quite vaguely, look, I'm sorry, but Sandra has something we need to talk to her about. Or, or you know, Tim actually needs us to sit down. I'm not going to tell you all the details. I think he's in sin. He doesn't agree. Can you guys, wiser, older Christians, not just best friends who will get on my side, willing to tell me I'm wrong if I am, can you guys come along with me? I want to win our brother or sister back. So they go with genders that are appropriate for the situation and they sit down together. You've got two people and then the two people who are in the argument and you have that conversation. And if the other two say, Sandra, you're in sin. Tim, you're in sin. You really need to repent. Come back to the Lord Jesus. And they say, no, I'm fine. This stepmother relationship is holy. We pray together. Then you go, all right. Step three. At that point your heart is broken you're mourning you're not proud you're not judgmental but you're going then to the next step which is verse 17. if he or she refuses to listen to that group tell it then to the church that will mean the, the elders primarily don't put your hand up next service and just ask mention a prayer point and then say you know what tim's been doing and then that's not how that goes come to the elders the elders approach them if that does not bring them to repentance, when they start realizing, man, this is heavy. My friends just aren't getting on my case. This is the, ask the elders, the pastors, they're getting involved. Is this sin actually that big a deal? Man, I'm going to back off. I did not realize. And the elders will hopefully be able to bring more clarity, more conviction, more, more prayer, more teaching to the scenario. And if still they do not repent, regretfully, brokenheartedly, but not cowardly, the elders come to the church not in a public you know where all the visitors are come along merry christmas tim get out you fornicator not like that in a members meeting that is closed and private but open enough to be serious they tell them tim has lost his membership rights he will not be joining us for lord's supper consider him as jesus says here a tax collector and a gentile which means somebody who's not saved now at that point that is what jesus means when he says what you loose in heaven loose on earth will be loosed in heaven that's what he says next What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He's saying the church has the keys. If you discipline somebody because they're in unrepentance, you're not necessarily saying this person is unregenerate, they're going to hell, they'll never be saved. What you're saying is no matter what you say with your mouth, your life is in in sin, you're acting like a non-Christian, we cannot publicly affirm your membership here in the body of Christ, be removed from us until you repent when repentance comes they say this is shameful and and this is what uh, one one commentator said this is like getting dropped in enemy territory what do you need when you're in sin you need friends praying for you lots of bible teaching communion worship songs this is all the work of the spirit to bring you out of sin the worst possible thing you need is to be re- neglected and rejected by your church but that's what you get if you don't repent it's like being dropped in enemy territory no radio no rations nothing you want to serve satan with your life go and live in his territory that is what happens and then all the christians have to like they did in the old testament give a communal amen and say i agree with this i'm not cowering at the back resigning my membership because i don't want to be involved in tough stuff like this this is a real strong church who loves the gospel teaches holiness they cut them out Like they are told to do in first corinthians 5 what jesus just said in first in matthew 18 and he backs it up with this this very scary thing to have to do but jesus says where two or three are gathered in my name right where the church has a majority and they're obeying the word of god there i am among them when the church does this in holiness god blesses it god helps it and and lord forbid if there was a liar in the midst and and that person was never meant to be cut out god will see to it that justice comes but what this means i've got a couple of things that is often often said that we need to uh, uh, remove from our minds a lot of people especially our younger generation also others uh, right because we're not ultimately all different generation to generation here's a few things that are said Often people will say, "Uh, I'm not my brother's keeper. This is his sin, not mine. Why do I have to deal with it? Well, Paul makes it a church matter because God deals with us as a whole body. God deals with you relative to how the other people in your church are dealing with him. It is not only his problem. It's your problem. How he's treating his wife is your problem because that will depend on how God treats the church as a whole. He'll not pour out revival and repentance and fruit and growth on a church that has all of these, these pockets of sin undealt with. So you are not to be like wolves sniffing out each other's sins, throwing them up to the stake to get burned. You are to be like those who, whenever you notice a, a sin in a brother or sister's life, you'll, you'll pull them aside later, you'll pray for them, you'll you just mention that you, met, you noticed it and you want to ask about it, get to the root of it, because you care about them, because God has made you one in the body and therefore since God deals with us corporately we need to consider that extremely significantly number 2 we are responsible for each other in a sense that we are accountable it's not your fault that tim is in sin came okay, out that's completely unrelated to you he got a he was flirting with his stepmom while she was making pancakes for his dad that's his fault It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. It's not my fault, it's my responsibility. So I didn't start it, but where I notice it, I'll step in to care because God holds me accountable for the whole. They flourish in sin because you don't pull them up. They started getting away with adultery because you didn't tell them and point out when they were telling those white lies. Man, if we were just loving each other enough to be the one that sort of gets a weird look be the one who who isn't liked by everybody the most popular person because because we care about holiness if we were willing to do that in the long run we would save people from much sin think long term think future-based think faith in what jesus says that he is among us when we do this and also other people will say well you know um uh we, we uh, the 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 This is not really our whole witness i'm doing well i'm a good christian i'm nice that's all that matters well it doesn't because don't you you notice the pattern right one christian does something really nice feeds like 20 people a free christmas lunch and the atheist or deist stands over there and goes that one christian is a nice guy right he doesn't say christians in general are nice it's that one person is an exception And one dude goes and sleeps with his stepmom and the guy over here goes, Christians are gross and they all sleep in disgusting ways with family members. And we sort of overgeneralize in this, well, people overgeneralize. That's just how it goes with reputation. It's like when we say, you're watching the footy and they win and so you go, we won. The team won, so that's me too. We all won. If they lose, it goes, that idiot, he lost. Those guys, the 12 lonely people lost, but not me i am a winner and this is how it works we we want to say i've got a good reputation but friends your reputation is the reputation of jesus not just your own reputation so ask yourself how does the community how does my family see christians in general that's going to some way land on you and so of course we have to pursue this communal uh, uh reputation and witness to the world because they need to know jesus is holy he does have power to actually transform. And we'll see here the, resp- the, the motivations for what we should be doing. He says 5a, look at this, he said uh, in the verse half of verse 5, When you're all together, you have the Spirit's authority to bind and loose what God would have you do. You're under the authority of the Word, in conjunction with the whole body, hand this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. you th- remember back to the Exodus account of the Jews, they were either in a house whose doorpost was covered with lamb's blood, and if you're in it, you are safe. Elder son does not die. If you were outside of that, the destroyer would be able to come and destroy you. The picture here is that Jesus, uh, Paul is saying, if you're in the community of, of faith, there is a sense in which you're, you're protected by prayers and fellowship and nourishment and the word and encouragement and exhortations and super awkward sermons. You're protected in some way. The spirit is, is, is among you. If you're in sin, it is like you've been kicked out of that Jewish household in the Exodus night. The destroyer is descending. The, the thick black plague is coming to kill anybody. is not under the the lintel of blood of the lamb and it's like you've been thrown out into the street because you were found to be breaking god's law that is what church discipline is like and it's it's ugly it's never pleasant it always goes down messily there's always accusations back and lies and it's messy but god is sovereign even over satan read the rest of verse five satan will destroy this guy's flesh so that he his spirit may be saved what we're praying for is that never pray for the blessing of guys who are kicked out through church discipline don't pray that they are blessed what we want is for people to go out but still think we're nice and still think we like them and still think you know there's nothing really going on yeah it's just a yeah you'll come back in a couple months as people forget about it i hope business goes well family goes well church life is crap for you so i hope everything else goes well no Paul's mindset is, kick him out so that, the, the, so that Satan would, would wreak havoc on his life. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's illness that, 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 that ravages his body. Maybe it's, it's family problems. Maybe it's business failure. Pray for all of it. If by God's external, and not so much Christian, but simply external worldly pressures and afflictions, he'll be driven to repentance. So this is getting back, it's pushing back so many of our presuppositions, isn't it? We go, the most important thing is for people to feel loved. Not actually true. The most important thing is that people are actually loved, which sometimes doesn't feel like love. Also we go, the most important thing is happiness. I hope that you're blessed. No, the most important thing is holiness. Everything else can go terribly, but if like Job, God uses that to make this person holy, that's our motivation. Pushes back on so much of what makes us comfortable. That is why this is such an unpopular, unpleasant text that God uses powerfully. Paul had this mindset with other people. He said, "Hold fast, fast." Sounds King James lispy. First Timothy chapter one says, "Hold fast a good conscience." By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among whom are Hymenaeus Himena- and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme. So here's Paul's mindset, which should be our mindset. When we kick them out, we're kicking them out in love that God would allow Satan, who is on the God's leash, to ravage him, to bring him back to repentance, back to the church of God, so that when the day of the Lord rolls around, he's in a state of repentance, forgiveness, salvation, and holiness, no matter how many other scars he's got on his body, that his soul would be saved that's motivation number one this doesn't look like what we call love we want to just affirm and hug and say maybe don't agree with everything you do but you're a brother that's okay Paul says don't tell them that that is the real way to love them that is how you save them but also this is for the church's well-being this is for the whole church as a body's well-being it does not feel good to remove a name off the members list kick that guy off the ministry team lose another maybe family from church we like numbers we want to grow it is healthier to be thinner with less fat than bigger if it's unhealthy or if it's a cancerous tumor so the whole church's well-being now look at verse six and seven he uses this this uh, old-fashioned example to show us what he means He says your boasting is not good you are puffed up that's what that word boasting means Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump and everybody who's never cooked with leaven before goes no i did not know that the heck do you mean uh should i know that i feel yes you should all be homeschooled and taught how to make sourdough bread uh do you not know the little leaven leavens the whole lump cleans out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened so this is this is what paul's saying is that i don't know whether you're familiar with the leaven process basically uh, leaven is, is a, 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 yip, yip, bread does not actually grow in plastic bags. Sorry teenage guys who think that mum's pantry just magically fills. Bread, you know, they make the dough and they cook the dough. What they do is they keep a little bit left over from the old dough and put it in a little container and let it ferment overnight, so that so that now it's sort of got gases in it, it's got bubbles it, and it and it rises up, it's like yeast, uh, it's feeding on yeast. So what they do then, they make the new bread the next day or the next evening, And they put a little tiny bit of that leaven into this lump this fresh lump put the old stuff in the new stuff knead it around push it all through and leave it to sit overnight and by the next morning even though you put this tiny little bit of leaven into you know old dough into the new dough the whole thing is permeated by the morning so you can make bread that is instead of flat is puffed up so you see paul's analogy Saying the problem is, and in the Old Testament, leaven was always a sign of sin. He's saying your old life, which is supposed to be old and done with and cut off and put away and thrown in the bin, you're keeping some of it. You're keeping some of it in your life, and it's making you puffed up. It's poisoning everything, even though it's just a little bit, we think. Don't you realize? I've seen this happen. My my wife makes sourdough breads, and it only takes one night, one tiny little bit in the lump the whole thing is polluted if you're not supposed to have leaven or permeated by the morning this shows us that sin is not simply mechanical not just a do and a do not sin is living breathing almost biological it grows it's hungry, it spreads, it's like a lion, a snake, a a shark, it's like all those things which wish to make you bleed and destroy you, and it grows, it permeates, and we want to think, let's apply this, it's just that one couple, we all know they're sleeping together, but the parents are really good Christians, does not matter, we're not doing it, what you do not realize, it will infect every other young couple every other christian and as that generation grows up you'll have a church filled with unrepentant sinners who, who just want to keep the facade of christianity but inwardly they are ravenous wolves and dead man's bones or, or you have it it's just this one elder or it's just this one member who's doing this dodgy stuff with his work or abusing his wife it doesn't matter what we want to say with our eyes of flesh is it won't spread god's telling us which we would hear by faith It will spread it will hurt more people it will harm more families it will ruin this church cut it out so he says to them that you are this new lump and and this is what the church is meant to be don't don't hear visitors and non-christians don't hear that the church is what we think is where this pure perfect holy people who never actually commit i remember sin yes one tuesday on a summer never again though no no we know our sin we know we're fallen, we're rude, we're arrogant, we're, we're cheap sometimes, we're, we're lustful. All of those things which are being pushed out of us. This is the miracle. It is impossible to unleaven a leavened bread. There's not a chef or a baker in the world who has that ability. You give them a yeasted leavened dough, they cannot by, by their power, by any scientific way, to, to simply push all out of the, the bread, the, the leaven, by morning. That doesn't happen. You take it up, you throw it in the bin, you burn it, you start new. Friends, this is the, word, the realm of God. This is the miracle from his hand and his spirit that we cannot imagine, that he takes us. These leavened, sinful, polluted, dirty, defiled, unholy abominations as we are. And he puts us all together in this whole huge lump. And by his blood, by his work on the cross, dying for us, by his spirit and the word, he washes the leaven away from us. And in an instant if you can imagine a baker somehow miraculously by god's power being able to remove all of the leaven out and what is left is this filthy disgusting defiled clump that is jesus on the cross that god drew all our sin and immorality and sinfulness and abominations into one person and put them all into his account into jesus who was holy he made unholy it was perfect, he made the utter definition of imperfection and ungodliness. Jesus, our Savior, became sin so that we could become his pure righteousness. And being so defiled, God destroyed him and cursed him and punished him and holds out to every one of us, imperfect, sexually immoral as we may be. He says, Believe in Christ by faith. Acknowledge his death as being in your place, his life as being a life you could never live as his person being divine and yet human and his resurrection being the triumphal declaration of all of that being true. Believe it, be saved, and that means turning from your sin and trusting him to make you an unleavened person in this, by a long process throughout our whole life, an unleavened lump. That is the call of God on every single one of us today. Believe him, be forgiven. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's why Paul doesn't say, let's finish in verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump because it's all on you. Make yourself unleavened. He says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Christians, be what you are. Be what you are made to be by the blood of Jesus. It's not all on you. His spirit will help. The body will assist you and encourage you, but you have been made pure in Christ. Now live that out. Live out holiness in behaviors, in relationships, in mindset, in work practice, in all that we do, that God may be glorified as a God over a pure church, that Jesus may be the savior of more and more people. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that, that your word comes to us with authority and speaks to things we would never chose to be but to be spoken about in public. We we have sins that we we want to hide and we think we're alone in them, but your word comes in and 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 exhorts us to bring it to the open, confess it to a brother or a sister or a pastor, have it have it brought out in the open, not because there's there's magical words that can be spoken over it, but because in confession there can be repentance, there can be help and I pray, God, that you would make us a church that is eager to win brothers and sisters back to holiness. We're never proud, thinking that I'm in perfection, so I'll talk down to the imperfect. But rather, God, that we would, with our own eyes open, aware of our own sin, we would be able to reach out and help others who are also given to help us. Please, God, purify this church. There is unknown sin May you give to those individuals, your spirit to bring them to their knees and repent of that sin. There are people who are cowardly and are not willing to talk to their brothers or sisters about sin may you empower them to do so may lord you uh, make us into a holy church may you bring unholy people unbelievers unfaithful people into this church that they may be saved so we pray tonight that faith would be given to those who do not believe that your word would be authoritative over them that they would gladly own jesus as their savior that they would gladly give their leaven their sin to him so that they can be saved. Please, Lord, do this all to your glory and may we worship you in all of our lives. And everybody said, amen.